listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So welcome back to Soil Talk. Today we've got a guest with us, Stetson Unick, our field sales agronomist up here in Narca, Kansas. So Stetson, today we're going to talk about fungicide a little bit. You know, we were just out doing a video a little bit ago, and uh, we've got weed at flag leaf. That's kind of a really important time for fungicide application, isn't it? Yep. So it was an earlier planted wheat field, maybe a little shorter variety, but um, it's one of the first wheat fields I've been into that's actually at flag leaf. And um, your flag leaf fungicide application is going to be kind of your biggest ROI or bang for your buck. And I mean, we're looking at $7 cash wheat. And I don't know the last time we've seen $7 cash wheat. So um, things are looking good, adequate moisture. Um, it is cool and wet, so some stripe rust is coming up from the south, and we are going to have some rust issues, and guys need to be getting out there and looking at rust and seeing what's out there because it's definitely around. Yep. So, you know, we talk about scouting for disease pressure, and of course that's what fungicides do is help us with disease control, but, you know, a lot of the high-yield growers seem like they're willing to pull that trigger on fungicide almost regardless of disease pressure. What, what's your thoughts on that? So especially in today's commodity environment that we're in, I mean, it's a no-brainer. Um, I think your two biggest no-brainers, no questions asked, should be a flag leaf application on wheat and a tassel application on your corn. So it's becoming more and more common too, and it seems to be less and less of a fight every year. Does it seem to you like guys that are applying fungicide without uh, really questioning or waiting for disease pressure to show up, are they also guys with a little bit more aggressive of a nitrogen program or are those two not necessarily coordinated together? Um, normally an aggressive fertility program and a no-brainer fungicide program kind of go hand in hand. You're always going to have kind of your progressive guys are always going to do it and you aren't going to have to have a conversation. It's just almost pull the trigger when you think it's ready. That's what I've seen for guys that are really pursuing high yield in wheat. They tie those two together, that a good aggressive nitrogen program with a good nitrogen top dress combined with that uh, flag leaf or maybe even a little bit earlier fungicide application. Let's keep that wheat green as long as we can. Let's make the most use of that nitrogen we can to add to add to the weight of those berries and add to that protein content. Um, not just fungicide to fight a disease. Yeah. Off. And we're seeing, I mean, those guys too, are kind of treating wheat more and more like a corn crop and we're using more and more of a green up application on our wheat. And um, you aren't really, there isn't too many diseases that we're really preventing, but um, we're reducing as much stress as possible on that wheat. And when that, with the dry fall we had, we were really um, low on tillers coming into the spring, but then fortunately we got a lot of early spring moisture that, those tillers were there and with that fun, green up fungicide application, we were really able to help put on them late tillers. And I mean, we're looking at maybe some 70, 80 bushel wheat around the area and that's pretty exciting with what where the prices are at. Yeah, that's a good point. When you get out there and see that tillering so you know you've got a lot of yield potential, that's probably a good time to make that decision that it's time to lock in, push the nitrogen a little bit harder, lock in that fungicide application and, and be ready to pull the trigger when the time's right. Yep. And that's what, I mean, with wheat, I mean, you're always going to have your second nitrogen application and we're always kind of playing in that, in that March time frame. And so that's when you can really push your wheat yield, depending yeah. on where your tiller's at and moistures and things like that. You can add a lot of bushels in a hurry, depending on how you treat your wheat after March. So do you get more and more growers that show up with 100 bushel wheat these days? There's some areas that it's, I mean, if we get the moisture, there's some areas that we can hit 100 bushel kind of farm average, which is 
kind of crazy, but you, yeah. they treat it more like a corn crop than they do right. a wheat crop 40 years ago. Right. But I mean, it's possible for it to show up in the area. You get those jokes out there that wheat's the poverty grass, but that's not necessarily true for a guy with a good program who's got some good history yeah. of getting high yields. That's 100 bushel wheat at $7. You're talking $700 an acre yep. for your kind of profit there. Not profit, but your kind of net yep. income. So Absolutely. you start putting pencil to paper and you get to start with $700 instead of $400. It looks yep. pretty good and makes, makes decisions a lot easier. Let's uh, switch speeds a little bit and go into corn. As you're thinking about corn and fungicide application, how many guys around uh, this uh, north central Kansas are uh, looking at some of those early fungicide applications? Is that getting to be a little bit more common? You know, the the V4 to V6. Yeah, so it's it's definitely picking up. Um, commodity prices being where they're at again. I hate to keep bringing them up, but I mean it's exciting times for us. Um, as we look at that, if we can run a half rate fungicide. It, V4 to V6, we can help put uh, or make a bigger round cob, which then hopefully equals yield at the end. And the less stress we put on that plant, the more bushels we're going to put in the bin. And that's kind of the end goal of this whole thing. So that plant's making some hard decisions at that time about how many rows it's going to have on that ear. And what you're basically trying to do is add another two rows. Yep. Talk it in. If it's got the potential for 18 or 20, let's go ahead and set the 18 or 20 and not settle for 14 or 16. Yeah. yeah. That sure helps your doing your yield calculations to do things at 18, 20, 22 versus 14 or 16. And <laughs> yes, so sure, sure, sure adds up a lot faster that way. Yeah, it's, it's disappointing when you start looking at that ear and you know you've only got 14 rows around and it doesn't make any difference if it's fairly long. You're just not going to have yeah, the number of kernels. Absolutely. You know, when, when you're shooting for 550 or 600 kernels and you start with 14 around, you know you're going to be in the 400 yep. when you get that counting. <laughs> yeah. So as you talk about that later fungicide application, now are guys doing a lot more scouting for disease pressure then, or are some of your high yield guys just looking at more for protecting yield and trying to slow some of that plant metabolism, or is it both? Yeah, so you got your kind of guys, irrigated corn, we're always gonna run a tassel application. Um, dry land, we're always gonna scout every year. It doesn't. There's a handful of guys that have those acres get over that we're gonna run um, every year, just a certain percentage of their acres just for the harvestability. And if we have a wet fall, some of them corn acres will stand out there till November or December. But when we're out there in that field in this dry land environment, last year we walked almost every corn acre because southern rust came in really, really heavy. Um, gray leaf spot was really, really heavy also. So um, I think we ran probably 80, 90% of our dry land corn acres even last year just because um, where we didn't. And I bet there was a 20 to 30 bushel yield loss because the southern rust was. I don't know if it showed up earlier than it ever has in my short career. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and those uh, fungicides with multiple modes of action seem to be able to have a little bit more of a, uh, a window that they're able to stop some of that disease pressure from coming in, just a little bit more residual control. Are you seeing guys moving more and more to two or three modes of action or fungicides versus the old single, you know, just a strobulurin alone or just a triazone alone? Yeah. So we're, we definitely run a lot of, at least the minimum of two modes of action. Um, there'll be Delara complete now and Tribapro with three mo modes of action. So um, I think anymore we need to treat fungicides like chemical. I mean, it's worth right. having multiple modes of action in there. So if you can get your, your knockdown, your preventative, and then your third mode of action is kind of your vaccine or super mode of super sure. preventative where if it's not in the plant, you're really gaining something there. So covering all your bases, you know, we've lost some ability to control weeds with some of our herbicides from over application of single modes of action. It seems like we're doing a little bit better job on the fungicides, but you know, that was one reason to scout a little bit too. Um, 
make sure you understand what the diseases are you're going after and you've got an appropriate mode of action for it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, as heavy as pressure was last year with Southern rust, yeah. I mean, we weren't able to get all the way down to that plant. If we were able to keep that top half of the canopy clean, we were happy. And so the sooner you get there, hopefully the rest of the, less of the rust that you have show up in the plant. So. And we were talking earlier about soybeans now, you know, and here in North Central Kansas, a little less soybean acres than we've got, say, in eastern Nebraska or, or western Iowa. But still, soybeans are out there pretty good as a third crop. Are you seeing some disease pressure down here or, or are you thinking that uh, is that as much of an issue down here? So we aren't seeing much for disease pressure um, with the wet July and August and split rows and drills, putting beans in the ground. We kind of would see some white mold around. Sure. Uh, more than anything, we're either trying to keep that soybean plant greener longer um, and then hopefully help with harvestability too, not on every acre. Guys don't like cutting green stems that often, but if we right. can prevent the stem bore issues and shatter issues, guys are pretty happy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you think about other stresses that come into a plant's uh, uh, lifespan, like you said, a stem bore, or sometimes we get hail damage, either one of those can lead to lodging. And a lot of times it seems like just maybe that extra lignin the plant's able to put on, or just that extra stay green you've got, it stays a little more flexible later. It just doesn't go down as much. So that is one thing, you know, in a conversation with guys about fungicide, just the ability of whether it's corn, soybeans, wheat, whatever, the ability of that plant to stand all the way to harvest, that is one of the benefits yeah. of the fungicide. And that, yeah, keeping that plant greener longer is generally gonna mean more yield. And that's what we're kind of chasing here at the end of the day. That's what I've always thought with corn. If I can keep that corn looking like it's uh, bright green all the way from the ground, all the way to the top, late into August, you know, a lot of guys will talk about, well, if the senescence doesn't hit the year leaf, you really haven't taken that much of a yield hit. But as you push yield higher and higher and push population higher and higher, keeping that plant green late really makes a lot of sense. And that's what we ran into it. And it doesn't make sense kind of from the outside looking in, but when, when southern rust comes in that corn plant and hits it as fast as it did last year, those guys that didn't fungicide their acres, that corn plant didn't go through the normal maturity process. And so it was actually staying wetter longer than the fungicide acres just because it never truly matured and went through the steps that it needed to. I like to talk to growers about a kind of a systems approach. And as a grower tries to push yield higher and higher, that fungicide really just becomes part of the system. You, know, you make your investments in uh, you know, grid sampling to understand where your soil fertility levels are now, adding the appropriate fertilizer for, for whatever those soil samples are telling you, putting together a good nitrogen program, putting together a good weed control program. You know, as you're pushing yield, a lot of times with corn especially, you're pushing your populations a little bit higher. Fungicide is just one more piece of that puzzle. Give the plant more time to take up those nutrients. Uh, give the plant the, the opportunity to maybe slow metabolism a little bit in the hot days and in some of the hot evenings so it can uh, can make the most of those nutrients and make those sugars that it, is, that it is producing move into the grain side of it. Just an opportunity to work with all of the pieces of the puzzle you have and kind of protect that yield potential through the end of the season. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I kind of look at that, that tassel application or kind of that fun, late fungicide application. I mean, you've already got 90% of your money and 90% of the work done on that plant, why give up on the last percent of the race or that last 10% of the race 
I mean, there was no point of kind of running it if you aren't going to protect it there right. at the end. Absolutely. Now, we had some issues a few years ago with uh, some of the adjuvants we were using with fungicides. I know it mainly further eastern years, seemed like Ohio, Indiana ran into a lot of uh, beer bottle years. Are you a little more particular about your timing of fungicide around tassel or the adjuvants that you're putting with it now? So, yeah, we use quite a bit of master lock is what we mm -hmm. run. Um, seemed to get along really, really good with that um definitely want to watch your timing you can yeah. you can cause a lot of issues that you'd never dream up and every year is going to be different um there's two words you you never use in agriculture and that is never and always because yeah, right. nothing's guaranteed in this deal so yeah. as we can take as many x factors out of there and try to stay as consistent as possible and kind of follow that label or kind of be as close to tassel as possible the better off we are yeah it seems like you know especially as as we uh try to match our maturities a little bit to where we're at and try to take advantage as much of that season as we can, that residual on that fungicide is something to pay attention to. If you've got a little bit longer residual, it's just a little bit longer, it can hold that stay green and, and keep bringing in nutrients while you still got the sunlight to make some sugars and make some grain. Yeah, and those, I mean, those fungicides when they first came out, I mean, starting with just your generic tebuconazole, they keep stacking things more and more on top of it. And I mean, you got companies that are guaranteeing 21 to 28 days of residual. And yeah. so, I mean, that's huge when it comes to protecting that plant. Absolutely. Well, did you cover everything that we kind of wanted to cover here on fungicides? I think so. I sure appreciate your help. So with me here today again is Stetson Unick, our field sales agronomist up here in North Central Kansas. And again, I'm Tim Mundorf, and this has been Soil Talk. Thank you for joining us on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CBA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cbacoop.com and you can see our Agronomy Focus blog series every other Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Mick Godekin and Tim Mundorf.